Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Blog Talk Radio. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you so much for tuning in to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check us out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. We have a page and there's a group. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me. My email address is SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. And if you've missed the show and you want to see or hear the beginning of it, check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, I have a guest from across the pond. She was born in Lagos, Nigeria. She lives in London, a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature and a regular contributor to The Guardian. She is the winner of a Betty Trask Award, has been shortlisted for the Dylan Thomas Prize, the Commonwealth Book Prize, and the RSL Encore Award, and has been long-listed for the Desmond Elliott Prize and the Etsy Lots Literature Prize. I hope I said that right. Her first novel was The Spider King's Daughter, and the second novel was Welcome to Lagos. We are going to talk about her third novel. Yes, she has a third novel out called Sankofa. And good morning, good evening, Dr. Onuzo. Hello. I'll just say good day. <laughs> good day. Yes, because it's four, four, four something, right? Four p.m. there. Yes, four p.m. where I am. Yes. This is the beauty of technology. You're four p.m. I'm eleven a.m. We're across like you know different continents, and we're able to talk. This is like the best. So we were just talking earlier, and I was talking to her about like maybe she's a little bit of an overachiever. She's a doctor in terms of PhD. Uh, she has three books out and. She, she's younger than I am, let's put it that way, and, um, and you guys know how old I am. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, so I'm sure her parents are very happy. You know, that's something I talked about with another guest I had on, the pressure from parents to succeed. Your, both of your parents are doctors. Did you feel the need to get that Ph.D., or you would not have been, the, the, you know, done what you needed to do, or were you like, no, my parents didn't pressure me? I mean, so they're medical doctors, so they're very different type of doctors from me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And 
so when I was younger, I used to say I wanted to be like a medical doctor like them. And then I tried to do A-level chemistry and realized that medicine was probably not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it helps being the youngest. So I'm the youngest out of four. And so I didn't go down a professional route, which is quite an unusual thing for, um, I, I guess, Nigerians. Maybe not all Nigerians. Let me not generalize. But I studied history, which doesn't have an apparent like application like when you get out of university with history it's not like if you study law you become a lawyer if you study I don't know engineering you become an engineer if you study mm. history you become I still don't know what you become if you study a history. professor you become a professor is that something you thought about teaching or you're now just on this book path right now so I did actually. I lectured at a university called SOAS for a year, um, but I and I, it was a part-time lectureship. But what I found was that I didn't have enough time to do my creative work. So I often felt just there's a lot of admin actually with teaching at university. Um, so I decided to give full-time writing a go, and here we are. Yeah, there's a lot with uh, writing. People suggest that I do that uh, doing the teaching thing. I'm sorry. And I was like, I don't like grading papers. I would have to give it to the TA. I like, I, I, I don't want to see that. Like, I could teach. I love talking to groups of people and, you know, going through whatever. It would be like social work or something. But I don't want to grade the papers. And I'm not good at grammar. So, like, I, I wouldn't seriously help. <laughs> yeah, you know? it, it takes so long. I, I was surprised by how long marking took. So I had a class of maybe like 30, 35 people. And it would take me days to get through their essays because, like, to do it properly and give feedback, it's just, it was a lot. It was a lot of admin. Mm-hmm. Now, you started writing, uh, well, actually, I read at 10 years old was your first story about a family in California. You, you want to tell the audience about that story? Yes. So I watched a lot of American TV when I was growing up, watched Cartoon Network, Powerpuff Girls, watched a lot of Nickelodeon, Amanda Bynes, so just all those sort of shows that children in America were watching probably. And what it did to my imagination was it made me feel like stories could only exist if they had white people at the center of them, white children. So I was Mm -hmm. a 10-year-old living in Lagos, Nigeria, surrounded by black Nigerian African people. And yes, when I started writing my first novel, it was about some white children in America because that was, and that's how powerful culture and cultural images are because that that was what dominated the sort of images I was consuming, and I remember showing this um, novel, if you can call it that. Yeah, well, you can. I, it was an attempt. I remember showing this novel to my mum, and my mum read the first maybe five pages, and she was mm. very confused. She was like, why are all the children white? Why don't you write about them? <laughs> she was very confused. She was like, why don't you write about something you know, something closer to home, something closer to your own sort of personal experience? And I ignored her. I, I ignored her for a while, but eventually I discovered that my mother was right. And um, yes. It's crazy. You you know, from my perspective as an African American, I'm looking over, you know, say to Africa and it would be strange to me as well. And that is the power, like you said, of T V. 
same with radio. Like kids listen to all types of music, and you uh-huh. know they think, oh, it doesn't affect them. It does affect them, and 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 like that's a perfect example. You writing a book about white kids, but you're living in Africa surrounded by black people, you know? So it, it's very powerful. Um, and also about how we think about ourselves, how we love ourselves, our self-hate or self-love. All these things are impacted by music, movies, TV, you know? And um, so so that's why it's like now it's in to be black. Do you feel mm-hmm. that it's in to – no, no, it's Like do you feel that in London – how do you what's going on in London in terms of being an African or African uh from the diaspora in London? Do you feel it's better for Africans there now in terms of work or um the relationship with the society? There's there's a lot of attention and I mean this this is all around. Same thing here, you know, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd's murder and all of that. It had ripple effects here as well. And so there were sort of there were um, demonstrations here. People went on marches and all of that. Um, so there's a lot of attention around why are there not enough black engineers or why are there not more black journalists or why are there not more. But I think people are still waiting to see if the change is going to be surfaced or if it's going to be long-lived. Because the truth of the matter is people have asked these questions before. Um, why is that not more black, whatever profession it is? People have been asking these questions, and I feel sometimes, I, I, I'm too old, to be, but I feel sometimes these things go in cycles. You mean you're too young so, to be cynical? <laughs> sorry, I mean I'm too young. I mean too young. Exactly. I'm, sorry, thank you, Joy. I'm too young to be cynical. But then at the same time, I'm like, hmm, I feel like there's a lot of energy now. People are saying, oh, yes, we need more black people in this. We need more black people in that. But then at the same time, you're like, are you just waiting for this moment to pass and then you go back to business as usual? Because the truth is that the the reasons why there are not enough opportunities for black people in all these sectors, there are very deep structural reasons. And they're not things that can change with one social media post. They're not things that can change with a nice T-shirt or a nice slogan. Like These are things that have been built up over decades. And so like to actually change them, it's going to take work to actually change, you know, the biases that make black children more likely to be excluded at school. The bi- like all this bias, you know, it, it's not it's not an Instagram post, basically. So, yeah, I, I mean, like you said. Sorry, go ahead. I couldn't hear you. Go say that again. No, no, that's my that's my answer. We'll see. We'll see. Well, you know, I think that's what Ladipo Shalenko and uh, Herbert Bantelo Bright probably thought too. You know, when is it going to change? And they started Wasu. You want to talk to the audience about Wasu and who those two people are and how they mm. relate to your book? Um, so the West African Students Union, Wasu, was a group founded in 1925 in Camden Town in London. And they were West African students who had come over to study law, engineering, medicine, because there weren't any universities in British colonial Africa. Um, So they came over as students, but then they also had a political awakening in England where they started asking questions about why are the natural resources stripped out of West Africa and why are they benefiting here? We want independence. We want Mm -hmm. a greater say in our affairs back home. We want West Africans to be in charge of West Africa. All these sort of things, all sort of questions 
they began asking them when they when they came over as students here. And to be fair, um, actually, they they were successful. Quite a few of them, when they went home, became prominent politicians, prominent figures, and pillars of society at at home. So yes, they they did succeed in changing things. Actually, things can change. Yeah, things can change. The question sometimes people say is: it, Do we need to make the change? Or do they, they meaning, you know, white Caucasian individuals um, make the change? Like, because why should we wait for them to make the change? You know, we do have some power now, more so than before. So um, a lot of people feel, stop waiting for somebody else to make that movie, to write the book, you know, to sing that song, you know, to become Uh the judge, to change the law. But I think what you said is key, that it's systemic and it's been going on for decades. So I think it's a combination for me, my perspective, that needs to happen, a combination, you know. So let's talk about your book, Sankofa. Why mm-hmm. this book, this is your third book, um, and how does it connect with Wasu? Um, so the main character in Sankofa is called Anna, and her father was similar to many of the students I studied at Duwasu. Um So he came over as a student from West Africa to to go to university, met her mother, who was a white woman, had an affair with her, and then returned to West Africa. Um, and so this is the story in the novel, but it's actually the story of quite a few people I met when I was doing research. Um, so I met quite a few, one or two, maybe Two, two or three people like who had a similar story to Anna. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of kids in America. I will tell you, I know many women who have kids by African men, and the African men disappear or, or not there. I'm not sure if they know about the kids. Some know about the kid and they disown them. Um, some like have their relationship and then bring a wife over. So there are many kids who you know don't know their father when they're growing up, and then in particular with this story in terms of Africans, um, there are many kids who may know or may not know their father. So this this young lady, she, well, she's not young, but she decided to just go over and meet him and not give him any, like, notice, like, hey, I'm coming. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to surprise you. And she... um, she had a really interesting twist in terms of events. I, I don't want to give too much away, but um, how long did it take you to write this book? It took probably about four years from beginning to end, probably about four years. And, yeah. do, you, do you think that was long for you, or do you feel like that's going to be your normal kind of like every four years you're going to come out with a book? Oh, it's a good point. So this is the first time. I've ever been writing full-time. So in those four years, I was also doing my research for my PhD and getting my PhD. And then same with Welcome to Lagos and The Spider King's Daughter. I was in university. I was always doing something else and writing. So it's possible. I guess this is what I'm going to find out in the next year or so. If I write quicker when I'm writing full-time or if I write even slower, I hope the answer is that I write quicker. So uh, what's this about you and grapes, eating grapes? What's what's going on with the grapes? And is it the red grape? Is it the green grape? What kind of grapes, you know, and, and like, what time of day? you got to give me some, talk to me about these grapes (laughs) that you like to eat. I I read somewhere. (laughs) 
Yes, I eat a lot of grapes. It is true. So basically, especially since I started writing full time, you're sitting at home all the time. And naturally, what happens is that you want to snack. But then if you start snacking on junk food, then that's very bad for you. Um, and I also mm. have a very, very sweet I have a very sweet tooth, a very, very sweet tooth. So I decided that, like, well, grapes are sweet, but at least they're not um, chocolate. At least they're not, you know, um, yeah. biscuits. So yeah. do you listen to music when you're writing, or do you have to have absolute quiet? Uh, what's your setting for writing? I don't have to have – I don't listen to music at home, but I don't have to have absolute quiet. Um, if I go to a coffee shop, I can write there with background music, background talking. Um, what I do try to make sure I do is that I don't want to become precious about my writing. So I don't want to be like, I have to light a candle and I have to be looking out onto an ocean view because if you do that, I think it just limits it just limits the amount of time that you can actually write if everything has to be absolutely perfect. So I can write anywhere. I've written in airports. I've written on planes. Um, yeah. Now, you have some other skills. Oh, this book, you've made a music video Correct. connected to the book. Um, uh, I, I watched the video. It's called Good Soil. How did that come about? Well, I have always been a singer. Um, I was runner-up in a national singing competition. That was like the start of my musical career, except it started and then sort of ended because then I then went <laughs> off to do other things. <laughs> I went off to do other things and became a writer. But I've always been singing. I sing in my church. I'm in the band in my church. In fact, I'm playing in church tomorrow. I have to wake up very early to do it. Um, so I've, the music has always been a part of my life, and I've been trying to find a way to incorporate it into my public life. So if you know me personally, you know that I'm musical. But I felt that as a writer, people just didn't really know it was something I did. Um, and a friend of mine actually suggested that I write a song and release it with the book. And so I did. I thought about the themes of the book about ancestry and identity and um, family and heritage and all those sort of ideas. Um, and then I put them in the song. It was almost like a challenge. You know, sometimes in school when they say, I don't know, make a painting about your favorite toy or something. It was almost like, like a challenge, like write a song yeah, yeah. with the themes in the book. Um, and so, yes, then once I recorded the song, I decided to shoot a music video and get everybody, my family and all my friends to be in it. And, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, it was really good. Actually, it reminded me because you have a refrain in there that um, – I rise up, and it reminded me of, like, Maya Angelou's poem, like, Still I yeah. Rise. Um, yes, yes. And, and also, I would say, you know, in listening to the song, I almost thought that that was Frank's song, um, the father of the main character, and his name is Frank in the, in the early part of the book. Um, and it definitely had black people in it. And the main character, the woman, though, you know, she's mixed. So I found hmm. it interesting that you didn't have, like, mixed couples or something like that. So it was mainly focused hmm. on um, – talk to, do you, did you make a conscious choice not to do that or do that, or did you realize that? Am I the first person to well, say something like that? <laughs> well, there's at least one mixed-race person in the video. Let me think. Let me run through. There's one person. But it's funny, actually. 
I stopped the video in April, so we were still kind of we were opening up a bit, but things were still sort of fairly locked down. I shot it in April, um, so mm-hmm. it was just basically whoever could come and yeah, whoever yeah. could show up on the day. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, we were safe. We had people coming in batches, so even though there's lots of people in the video, we didn't shoot everyone at the same time. But it was just basically who would say yes. And it's funny, my cousin pointed out the same thing. So I was like, okay, well, if we do a re-release, we will, we will broaden. Broaden, some, you know, bring some more things. Now, the, not just are you a singer, you play the piano. You are also a screenwriter. You wrote a, a, a movie for the uh, Af- African uh, American Black Film Festival, um, and it, was, uh, it won a prize. You talk to the audience about that. That's a whole, another side of you. Yes, so The Luck Boy is Fine um, was a short film. It's based on one of my short stories. So I co-wrote the screenplay and also did some co-producing as well. Um, And it was, it just had a good, basically the story is about a young girl called The Luck Boy who's trying to get an internship in finance. And she's told that in order to get this internship, she's going to have to straighten her hair um, or get a weave or something because she has an afro. And then she has mm. to decide whether to take this advice or not. Um, and, yeah, we put it in for the American Black Film Festival. They have an, a competition for um, short films. It's sponsored by HBO. And we won. We won. It was a, it was a wonderful surprise. Um, so, yes, we won. And so I think you can watch it on HBO in America. And you can watch it on Netflix here. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and you were long-listed. You were long-listed for the BAFTA British Short Film Award, so that's a great yes. honor as well, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, you got a whole, like, your whole life ahead of you, and you have all these different avenues. I think that's great. So if you don't one day want to continue writing, you could publicly and make albums, or the next day you could, um, you know, do movies. And you have so so many choices and skills. Are there any hidden skills that we don't know about that maybe you're good at, uh, Besides the singing and and the screenwriting and, and the novelist, hmm, I make very good fried rice. Really? And why is your fried rice good? What do you put in it? Well, so I I boil the rice in coconut milk. That's okay. my secret. Wow. But it's quite a bit of rice, so it doesn't taste coconutty, but it just adds something. To mm-hmm. the flavor. So, yeah, okay, there we go. that's the secret, people. All right, you you said it here first. <laughs> I got it So let's talk about you. What about your relationship with your parents, your father? Do you um, have a special moment that you remember with him when you were growing up? Yeah, I have many many special moments. Um, yeah, my parents were around. We grew up in. Nigeria in Lagos. Hmm. The special moment with my dad. So in the mornings, every morning at home, we used to have Bible study, um, and we'd have it in my parents' room. So it wasn't it was everybody in the house, and I grew up with my cousins as well. So like the whole family, my cousins, everybody would congregate mm-hmm. in my parents' room, and we'd have Bible study, and we would sing hymns. So we had this hymn book that we would sing from. And we used to have this thing where, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but basically 
it was a competition to hold the note at the end of the hymn to see who could hold it for the longest. <laughs> think, let's see. Can you sing the song for us? Can you sing I'm trying to give you it? an example. Okay. Um, okay, let's say Grace is thy faithfulness. Grace is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, your mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, of me. And we just go on like this. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we, we just go on like that to see who could do it the longest. It was such a straight, but it was just, it was the thing we did. Every time you get to the end of the hymn, then it would be the competition to see who can hold the note the longest? And sometimes my dad would often win actually. And he had a he has a good pair of lungs. To him. Yes. Okay, so you get the singing from him. Is that is that where you get the singing from? Yes, probably. Yes, my uh, family. Yes, we all sing actually. My sister sings. Uh, my cousins sing. Yeah. So now, who <laughs> did like, you? Who did you? Go ahead. Sorry. What were you going to say? No, because I've I've no I haven't told that story in public before. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the story's out there. Sorry. <laughs> so, who did you read when you were growing up? You said you watched a lot of American TV and you saw a lot of white families and white kids and things. Who did you read when you were growing up? Um. So again, I read a lot of European authors because. Um, I suppose both my parents were raised in colonial Nigeria. And so they gave me the books that they read when they were children. So mm. I read Jane Austen and um, um, Little Women and, you know, what was that kind of Heidi and what Katie did. Oh, God, Heidi. I used to love yeah. Heidi. Oh, my God. What? Crazy. Um, Little House of the Prairie. Little House of the Prairie. I read that as well. Um, Enid Blyton. So yes, I read a lot of European books. Um, and it was only when I moved to England that I actually started reading African and Black authors properly um, and seeking them out. Um, so I read Chinua Achebe in England. I read mm. Wally Shorinka in England. Um, I read Tony Morrison in England. Um, yeah. yeah. I also heard that you liked uh, Ursula Le Guin, the Earthy Quartet. Yes! Yes, I love that. I read as an adult, actually. I didn't read that as a child. Um, but yes, I just find her world building. I like. I I, I read and I love fantasy books. Actually, I really like Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia. I like the classic ones. Yeah, have you um, read Octavia Butler? I have. I've read one. No, I read two. I've read Kindred, which I love, and okay. I've read The Parable of the Sower. Mm-hmm. Terrible. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. So, wh- so what's next for Dr. Onizo? What's happening with- next with you? Mm-hmm. Well, what's immediately next? I'm going for a movie night. I'm going to watch a movie with my friends. That is what is happening immediately next. Um, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I am also, I'm putting out something called an EP. So, I won a music award called the Drake Yolanda award um, and it's a music grant towards your music career so mm-hmm. I'm hoping to just put out some more music next year in um, February February 2022 by God's grace and are you ever going to go back to teaching and checking papers and things of that nature <laughs> oh no never 
I'm never <laughs> going back. No. Now, <laughs> what about teaching singing? You could teach singing. Uh, that would be mm. great. Or, that would be something. No, there's no papers there, right? I used to run a gospel. I have done many things in my life. I used to run a gospel choir, actually. Um, so, yeah, maybe. Hmm. Now, we're going to talk about this food again, because you said you like, uh, you're like you good at cooking fried rice. What food do you like to eat, though? Because you said you had a sweet tooth earlier. What's your favorite sweet dish? Oh, there's too many. I love sticky toffee pudding. I love salted caramel ice cream. That's my favorite flavor. Salted caramel ice cream. Mm. Salted yes. caramel. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, so so so, uh, your, what about your brothers and sisters? Are they like like is your family like some people's families are like all into the salt stuff, and other people like the chips and the nachos, but some are like cakes and ice cream. Like everybody the same. Mm. Everybody's different. I think I'm definitely the sweetest. Like I'm, I have okay. the sweetest. I think they're more savory, actually, which is better for your health. I wish I yeah. was savory. Yeah, I feel your pain. My name is Joy Keys, and I'm part of the. Uh, I have a sugar addiction. I'm working <laughs> on it. I go once a week to meetings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Dr. Onuzo, this was a wonderful conversation. Oh, you know, some people might want to know, like, what does your name mean? Because you have a longer full name, uh, Ima Chibundo mm-hmm. Oluwadara yes. Onuzo. What yes. does that all mean? So, Ima Chibundo means knowing God is life. Mm. Oluwadara means God has done a wonder. And Onuzo means, well, the full thing means the way of the Lord is best. Yeah. Well, I think God definitely has done a wonder with you because you have so, so many talents to provide us. And I hope that you live a long life and you'll have many books, many, not Amen. just EP, you can have a whole big album. And, um, <laughs> you know, it'll be our pleasure to, to listen and read. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you again. I hope you have a great movie night, okay? Thank you. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with uh, Dr. Onuzo. Uh, She also sings. She also writes movies. We're going to see a lot from this young lady. You know, she feels like she's old now, but I told her she's got a whole whole long road ahead of her. And uh, this coming Wednesday, I'm going to have actor William Jackson Harper on. You might have seen him in the Underground Railroad. You might have seen him in Love Life just recently. So check in. That's a special edition. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Thursday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can tune in and, and talk to him, send the questions. You can email me at SaturdaysWithJoyTees at Hotmail.com. Check me out on Twitter at JoyTees, on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, if you missed the beginning of the show or any shows are archived on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. You guys have a great weekend, and I hope you uh, stay safe. I hope that you get your booster shot yet. You know, that's a big thing now. Make sure you get your booster shot and also your flu shot. Um, I know, I think you have to stay a week in between each, but check with your doctor about that. You know, don't get them all at the same time, I heard. 
you guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon, hopefully on Thursday with William Jackson Harper. Wonder if you should get tested for colorectal cancer? Well, it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., so if you're 50 or older, it's time. Screening helps find precancerous polyps so they can be removed. Remove the polyp, prevent the cancer. Did you know there's more than one screening test? Talk to your doctor to find the one that's right for you. No more excuses, because colorectal cancer screening really does save lives. A message from HHS and CDC's Screen for Life campaign.